you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 1. And today we really start getting into uh, getting into the text. We've had weeks of preparation, of looking at the end of the Gospels, and uh, the effect that the resurrection of Jesus had on his disciples. Last week we had kind of an introduction and overview of the book, and today we really get into the text. And we're going to take our time um, moving through this book, uh, because... It's significant for us in 2023. We could have said that in in 1823, right, or 1723. The book of Acts is significant to God's people at all ages in the the world. Um, But it's certainly for for us uh, applicable and needed. Uh, Just as a way of reminder before we read, um, Acts is more than just a historical account of the early church. It's more than just history. It's actually an account of the mission of the early church. And last week, I hope that I was able to make clear that the mission of the early church is the mission of Ramsey Creek in 2023. It should be the mission of every church of God even today, it's the same thing. Jesus' ministry continues through his people in the church. And one other thing that I pointed out that I'll make note of again today is that the church and the people in it, they always point not to themselves, but to Christ. So even with the miraculous things that we're going to see, especially in the first few chapters in the book of Acts, even in these things, the disciples are not pointing people to themselves. They're pointing people away from themselves to Christ, to his word. And so this morning we want to look at the first 11 verses together that cover Jesus' ascension. And then we're, I'd like to pray again together over God's word. And then we're going to dig in to the text a little bit. I'm excited for this. So read with me. I'm in the English Standard Version, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, your understanding and insight and spirit is what we need here. 
We can read these words and be unchanged and be unaffected. But I don't know that there's anyone here listening this morning that wants that. I think we want to be changed. I think we want to understand better, to be realigned or aligned under the authority of your word. What a great way to do that by hearing and understanding this text this morning. So, Lord, we pray that you would make that happen through your spirit today. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Imagine for a moment what the Bible would be without the book of Acts. I'm not suggesting you take it out, but just imagine for a moment what it would be without it. So we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've got the Gospels. We've got the stories of Jesus. Um, imagine if there was no Acts. Imagine if Luke had never written this letter. You'd finish the Gospels, especially John's Gospel, and then immediately start hearing from a guy named Paul writing to his follower, to followers of Jesus in Rome. And, of course, there'd be questions like, well, who is Paul? Where did he come from? Who is this guy? What is, what is he talking about? How did the gospel message of Jesus get from Jerusalem all the way to Rome? How did these things happen? Why would the gospel be preached to Rome in Rome anyway? Why would it be preached to any Gentile? Because Acts really bridges the gap in a lot of ways here. Luke's account answers these questions and more about who Paul is and why it got to Rome and why Gentiles are hearing about this. Jesus' instructions are clear from the text here that after the Spirit comes upon them, they are going to do something. This isn't necessarily a command, it's an expectation. You will do this when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You will be witnessing about it. And notice what he says. This has been pointed out probably in sermons that you've heard before. It starts close to home in Jerusalem where they're at hearing these words. Starts there and then it begins to expand. And you've got expanding circles. You've got in Judea and Samaria. Those are the next towns around Jerusalem. And then all the way to the end of the earth. Jesus says here. Look at verse 1 and 2. They, they talk, Luke talks about how he's already dealt with um, Jesus' teachings and, and doings in the first book that he'd read, we, or written, that we understand is the Gospel of Luke, written to the same guy, Theophilus. And it says that he was taken up. Jesus was taken up. Now, this is reference to the ascension. Uh, he's going to describe more about this at the end of our text this morning. Look at verse 3, though. Jesus begins to, exp- or rather, Luke begins to explain what Jesus did. There's 40 days between he, his resurrection and his ascension. And he appears to many followers, presenting himself alive by many proofs. Can you think of some of those from the gospel accounts that we, that we went through? Some of the proofs that he gave. He, he showed up with the disciples He allowed them to touch his physical resurrected body. He ate a piece of fish in front of them. He helped Thomas's unbelief. All of these things, many proofs and more. He taught them specifically, it says, about the kingdom of God. And I think this is important. Okay, so I just want to pause here for a second. Because when Jesus died, what were the disciples thinking? Do do you remember uh, where they were? There's only one disciple, one male disciple accounted for at the cross. They're not there. 
When Jesus died, his disciples were thinking, man, thought he was going to do something great. He just died, like those other chumps on the cross. They were disappointed, weren't they? When, when he rose from the dead, and they go to the tomb, right? Peter and John, they run there, and they see it. They still didn't understand. Some of them still didn't even believe. And yet, now, they're saying, well, they were saying, is this for real? Well, now, with many proofs, Jesus has come, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, and now they know. Now they know. They are convinced It's really Jesus risen from the dead. Now they're primed, if you will, to understand what he's going to say to them and to go and to do what he's been teaching them to do. All through his ministry and now all through the time, those 40 days after his resurrection. And Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples talking to them about the kingdom of God in particular. Interestingly enough, this is what we talked about at VBS this week. It's the treasure that those parables are referring to. But these disciples, they didn't understand it all. They understood parts of it. It's kind of like when you get a puzzle out and you start putting it together. We kind of have the benefit of seeing what it's supposed to look like on the, the box. But if you were just putting those pieces together, the more that you fit, the more clearer the picture becomes. And that's what was going on, I think, with the disciples here. They understood parts of it, but not all of it. Well, it's starting to make sense, though. And so Jesus, now in his resurrected form, clearly divine to be able to do this. He comes and he starts teaching them something he's already taught them before. And I think that's what's so interesting here. Jesus doesn't come and say, I had a revelation in the grave. He doesn't come and say, here's a new teaching I have for you. What does he come and teach after he's resurrected from the dead? The same thing he talked to them in the three years he was alive in ministry. He starts telling them about the kingdom of God. What it looks like, who it's for, how it spreads and expands. And notice in verse 2 how he does it. Through the Holy Spirit. If the glorified and resurrected Son of God relied on the Holy Spirit in communicating gospel truths, so should we. Because I can stand up here and preach. You can stand on a street corner and yell your loudest truth. But if the Holy Spirit is not involved in that, it's not going to do much. And so we can't go into ministry or evangelism or even life thinking that we have the ability to do the things that God has called us to do, the things that Jesus is is communicating to us to do on our own. We have to rely on the power of the Spirit, both at work in us and at work in the world. And I think, in fact, this reveals a pattern through the book of Acts. I just want to go through quickly. The gospel will be faithfully preached through the Holy Spirit. People hear that message and they respond through the Holy Spirit. Christians endure trials and persecution through the Holy Spirit. And the kingdom of God grows through the Holy Spirit. I I think this is a theme that we're going to see. And I'll try and point it out as we go. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, that the resurrected Jesus, he says there was seen by over 500 people. It's a lot of people 
40 days, 500 people. And most of them, he actually says, they were still alive some 20-ish years later during Paul's ministry that Acts covers. And so you've got hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses to this physical, true, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And some of them were alive decades later when Paul is saved and starts ministering in his name too. Now look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus instructs his followers to stay in Jerusalem and do, as Jason mentioned with the kids, one of the most difficult things there is in life to do. Wait. To wait. Wait Waiting is one of the hardest things. I think if Jesus had told his disciples, guys, I'm leaving. Now's the time for the rubber to hit the road. I want you to immediately get, you know, kick it into gear and start going. I think that they would have been excited to do that. They would have been ready to go. If he told them, look, go home, get prepared for a long, for a journey. You're going to be going out and doing all of these things. I think they would have been likely eager to go and start packing and getting prepared, but he doesn't do that. He says, wait. He says, wait specifically for the promise of the Father. So if Jesus tells you to wait for something, it's going to be worth the wait, right? You better believe it's going to be worth it. To wait meant, for the disciples, I think, in this moment, it meant that they weren't going to be able to do what he was telling them to do on their own. They're going to have to wait. It's kind of like if you're instructing a child, or maybe just somebody who's new to something, you're instructing them, here's the end goal. Here's what we're going to do. But if they don't wait for you to explain how to get there, there is a very minute chance that they're actually going to get there right. You know what I'm saying? And so for Jesus to say, here's what's going to happen. Here's the kingdom of God. But I need you to wait until you're properly equipped to go in to do it. He's been teaching and ministering and they're, they're pretty well equipped. But there's a, there's a last little bit here. Maybe one of those last puzzle pieces to fit together and press into the, the final picture that they're going to get soon. But they have to wait. They, they couldn't create this themselves. They couldn't muster up the spirit enough to do what Jesus was telling them to do. They were just going to have to wait and then receive it when it came. The promise of the Father that Jesus is referring to here, he explains it a little bit. He talks about John's baptism with water. Uh, it's it's exactly what the Father, what he had asked the Father for in, in John 14, verse 16. There he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the gift of the Spirit, the helper who would be with them forever. Look at verse 5. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So verse 5 says that the promise was unique in that it will come from the Father as opposed to any man like John who baptized with water. So it would be a similar kind of thing, but different. John himself recognized this from the start, I think. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says... John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork 
is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. To be baptizing God's people with the Holy Spirit and with fire, with comfort, but with judgment and righteousness. So the idea of baptism, I think both in Matthew 3 that I just quoted, but also in here in Acts chapter 1, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, baptism in this sense is talking about being immersed, being covered, overwhelmed by something, if you will. And so we would say that the mode of, of baptism by immersion captures this concept the best. And so uh, when we see this kind of baptism of fulfilled in the not-too-distant future in Acts 2, this will make even more sense. There's a strong wind that rushes over them at the place. It overwhelms them, and then there's a baptism that we'll see to there. It fills the whole house, chapter 2, verse 2 says. So they were baptized, overwhelmed with the Spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about here in chapter 1, verse 5. So Jesus resurrected. He's teaching about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And the puzzle pieces are starting to fall into place, but the picture wasn't quite clear. And we see that from verses 6 through 11. They kind of, as I was reading this and studying this this week, I got a, I got a, a remembrance of the two disciples on the way from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. And they asked, they were talking, remember they were talking with Jesus, they didn't recognize him. And they make this, this comment that is so telling for the human heart. And they say, we saw Jesus... We really thought he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. But we're disappointed because he died. They didn't realize who they were talking to, but they, 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 they saw, they had this expectation that Jesus didn't meet and they lamented the fact that he was killed. Now the apostles are saying, Lord, this is great. I can imagine they're, they're, they're asking this question with, um, with exuberance and joy and smiles on their faces. They're saying, okay, Lord, now is the time that you're going to restore Israel, everything to, to Israel. Right? Now is the time. This is great. This is exciting. And then he answers, um, and, and to borrow a phrase from, I think, Milo Rogers, he says, do you know what Nunya is? You guys know what Nunya is? It's Nunya business. That's not what Jesus says, but it's pretty close. He literally says, he says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that are fixed by the, by the Father and his authority. It's none of your business about that. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus tells his disciples, in even clearer, no uncertain terms, that the angels of heaven, even himself, they do not know the time or day of his return. He doesn't know. The Father knows. And he's okay with that. Jesus explains because it's okay to, to trust the Father, to rest in the Father because of his sovereign rule and because of his wise reign. There are just some things that only God knows. And, and Jesus wasn't just okay with this. He submits himself to it. Right? Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the, the night before the, the process of his death is about to occur, what does he pray? 
He says, not my will, but yours be done. He's not just okay with the will of the Father. He submits himself to it. And now he's saying for the disciples to do the same. And he's saying for you and for me to do the same. Are you okay with submitting yourself to the rule of the Father? Because there are some things that you will not understand in this lifetime. The disciples would not understand. This was none of their business. He's effectively saying, look, that's none of your business. But there is something that is your business. And that's what he gets into next. Look at verse 8. This is kind of the the linchpin for the book of Acts. I, I, I see it that way. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And and listen to this. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is their business. Right? I think that's what Jesus is kind of getting at here. This is what Jesus is commissioning them to do and what what they should be about doing. Arguing about the timing of the second coming? No. That's none of your business. Doing and teaching everything that he's commanded? Yes. That's it. Making disciples? Bingo. Absolutely. That's it. Luke says right here in the first verse that he's recorded what Jesus has has begun to do and to teach. Jesus was all about doing and teaching. His, His deeds illustrated his words, and his words explained his deeds. Let me say that one more time. His deeds illustrated his words, and his words explained his deeds. So I hope it's becoming clear in the five weeks up to this point that we've been preparing into the book of Acts that the church's mission is still the same. That we do and we teach what Jesus did and taught. We let others see the good deeds that we do in order to glorify the Father and help others understand The good news that leads to eternal life through his name. Jesus' ministry continues through the church today. One of the commentaries I was reading this week, um, one of the authors said this, The risen king's ministry continues because the king is not dead. It continues because we have his spirit and his word. It continues because the kingdom of God is here and it's still advancing through his spirit-empowered witnesses. That's you, brothers and sisters. That's the church. The ministry of the risen Christ continues through the book of Acts and all the way into our century today. Question might be is, are you faithfully taking part in this mission? Is this your mission? The author of that commentary, Tony Merida, says, The only difference between a believer sitting in his or her American home and a missionary on a foreign continent is location, not identity. You guys get that? So we support and we give and we pray for and we encourage, but our task is the same as the Derringers in Vanuatu, as the Harleas in Romania. As every other missionary that we are connected with and support. It's the same mission that we have. We're just in a different location. Say it again. The mission of Jesus continues through his people in the church 
regardless of their location, even today. So verse 8, I kind of see as almost an outline for the book of Acts. Just kind of think through this. I'm not sure if I have this in your notes or not, but uh, chapters 1 through 7, we're going to see Jerusalem impacted with the message of, of Jesus. With the, the, the crucified, risen, and ascended, empowered Jesus Christ. Chapters 1 through 7 of Acts. That's the Jerusalem aspect of, of Jesus' commission. Then it expands to that next circle. Chapters 8 through 12, we're going to see how the good news is starting to spread out further from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria. And then the rest of the book, chapters 13 through 28, is how we see it expanding out into the the end of the earth. And we we see in some of those chapters specifically to Rome. The disciples, for all their good intentions, were limited at this point in their view of the kingdom of God. Their question to Jesus here, are you going to restore Israel, kind of reveals their short-sighted concern here. This isn't intended as a slam on them because much had been made about the, the, the family of God right through Abraham. They were a part of this. They were God's set apart, special people. But in Jesus' last words, he directs, their, he directs their attention to the global nature of his kingdom. And he, he directs their attention to their part in it. Lord, help us if we get so inward focused that we forget that the message of the gospel is for all peoples everywhere. Now, this is going to become really clear when we get to the book of, or in Acts to chapter 10 or so, when Peter gets that vision of the animals that had once been unclean. And then right after that, God calls him to go to a Gentile home. And we see the, the spirit poured out on Gentiles. And Peter brings this back and people are like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And he, and he says, I didn't do anything. It was the Spirit of God that was poured out. And they say, we're convinced. Let's do it. Right? But we see this, this progression, this expanding of circles. There's no doubt when we get to later in the book of Acts that God's Word is for everyone to hear. And they have the job of taking it to them. Glance back at verses 9, 10, and 11 for just a moment. These I think serve as yet another gentle and patient reminder from the Lord to the disciples. And I can't help but notice some similarities uh, to what Luke records happened at the tomb after Jesus' resurrection. If you remember that story, the ladies went looking for Jesus' body and they were asked by two men standing in white. They were asked, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Why do you stand looking into heaven, men of Galilee? He's not here. He's gone. I I think it's probably obvious to you guys. It wasn't to me initially. But I think Jesus left this way on purpose. He he, he left in this obvious and, and kind of dramatic way. On purpose, for a reason. If he would have just simply vanished, or if he never would have made himself known after his resurrection, 
It could have been pretty tempting for people to make up stories. I mean, they were trying to anyway, right? They were trying to convince people that the disciples stole his body. Well, they see the resurrected Jesus walking around, hundreds of people. That's not going to fly. But if he had just slowly kind of slipped away, just vanished away, maybe in secret, there would have been a lot of lingering questions, a lot of confusion. But by ascending like this, in this manner, Jesus wanted his followers to know that he was gone for good until he comes back for good. But why is this significant? John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus himself says, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. This is before his death. Remember the puzzle piece illustration. The disciples didn't have very many in place yet, still at that point. And Jesus still then says, it's actually better for you that I go away. It's to your advantage, for if I do not go away, he says, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So multiple times now, Jesus has promised his followers that he's going to send the Spirit when he leaves. That's what's going on now. He's leaving. He's gone. The Spirit is getting ready to be poured out on them in the coming days. Now, this is, this is wonderful news. This, is, this had to have been one of the most exciting times to be a Christian. right? But don't forget of how exciting this was. I mean, they're going to see tongues of fire. They're going to be, see people speaking in languages they didn't even know how to speak before. We're going to see people healed, brought back from the dead. We're going to see all of these things. And this is an exciting time, and yet we're also going to see people killed because of Jesus. Now, we're certainly not asking for that to happen in our community, in our nation. And yet, when you start following Jesus... Even the threat of death will not stop you from preaching the gospel, from living it out. And that's what we're going to see. This is exciting. Jesus, who had once been dead, laying in the ground, now has risen, taught, ascended into heaven, and was going to send and pour out his spirit on his people in just a few days. This was going to turn the world upside down. And historic accounts of this time, even outside of Christianity, attest to that very truth. The known world here in Jerusalem and even Rome and all these areas, it, it was just in a, a frenzy during this time. Because things were happening that people could not explain. Because it was the, the hand of God. But this said, God is good and patient in these moments. He's, he's not coming down on the disciples uh, by sending these angels. They could have certainly chastised them. Um, and yet, the angel just comes and says, Guys, you're looking in the wrong direction. Why are you looking up at heaven? He'll come back one day, but that's not your business now. Now your business is to do what he's called you to do. And God is patient with his people, and he's patient even with us in redirecting us and our prayer and hope and going through the book of Acts is that God would do that very thing for us. To redirect our attention from the things of this world to eternal things, to the things of the kingdom of God. These angels tell the disciples to stop wondering where Jesus went and just to put their attention to Jesus' commands, to obeying what he had said. And they are told then to wait in Jerusalem 
And you can imagine with all of this going on, they're, they're kind of a bit shell-shocked. Uh, eyes kind of open, mouth hanging open, uh, and they don't exactly know what to do, and so God's good to direct them in this. They're looking into heaven, but they're supposed to be going to the ends of the earth. And so they need to be redirected. And I just kind of wonder, in, in applying this to our own hearts and lives, are we approaching life this way? Are we standing still, if you will, with our mouths hanging open, looking in the wrong direction? I can't answer that for you, but I wonder if we ought to consider that this morning. Maybe we've been shell-shocked. Maybe our life has not gone the way that we thought it would. We're standing stationary, not looking in the right direction. Maybe, like the disciples, you've been told to wait about something. It's almost better to get a firm no than to wait, isn't it? Right? But Jesus doesn't do things like that all that often. And here he's told his disciples, he says, wait. And so maybe you've been told to wait. It's not easy to wait. Let me encourage you, like the angels encourage the disciples, don't stand there immobile like a statue, lost. Instead, remember the gift of the Holy Spirit. The helper who empowers Christians to go and to do the thing that Jesus has called them to do. Jesus called you to do. What has he called you to do? To go and to teach, to make disciples and to do the things that he's commanded us to do. We, we are reminded from this passage, graciously so, that he will come back. He's going to come back. Look at verse 11, the end of that. This Jesus was, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. It's none of your business when that day is, but it is your business what you do between now and that day. And so, are we about the business of Jesus? Are we about the kingdom of God? We're not left on our own to do the job that he's assigned for us to do. Tony Meredith points something else out that I think is really important. It's on the screen. It's in your notes. You can look at it with me. The ordinary people of God, equipped with the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, dedicated to the Son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. And I would even say will accomplish the mission of God. Because there is no doubt. Remember, The king is not dead. His kingdom is very much alive and he's given his people his spirit. A passion for the kingdom of God comes only when we have a love for the king. A lack of love for the king produces little passion for the king's mission. Do you have a passion for the mission Jesus left his disciples? Maybe more importantly, do you have a love for the king himself? This morning I want us to pray together. I want to lead us in prayer and I want to pray for three specific things. That the Spirit would empower and embolden his people. Us, you, in the church. 
pray for a love for all people from all nations, because this is clear. This is not just for Jews. This is not just for people in this specific town. This is for people in every part of the earth, of every dialect and culture. And thirdly, pray for our hearts to be captivated with the King of Kings. Let's pray. We do ask you, Lord, for these things. If we, if we tried real hard, we could maybe get some external results for a time. But if we don't rely on the Spirit, it is not lasting, it is not real. And so we don't want to be, we don't want to be those who try in our own strength and power. No. Lord, convince us of the, the futility in that. We want to be people who, just like Jesus, rely on the Spirit in what we communicate and in how we do it. So we pray, Lord, that you would embolden your people. We, we have been given your Spirit. He lives in every believer now. We don't have to, we don't have to do anything else for that. You're dwelling within your people. And so spur us on. Motivate us. Use your word. Use our brothers and sisters. Use the circumstances of life to propel us out to do what you called us to do. And so, Lord, may we go and do those things and share with people from every nation, from all areas, to the ends of the earth, Lord. You've called us to. To make these disciples from every people group. And, Lord, also, ultimately, I pray that our hearts in all of this would be captured with the King of Kings. The king who is not dead. His kingdom is not asleep. It is not weakened. It is not struggling. Your kingdom is firm and established and always will be. May those in your kingdom be bold through the Spirit in sharing the message of Jesus. The kingdom of God. Lord, help us not to be ashamed. Help us not to shrink back from the pressures and persecutions that we may face, but instead that we may be bold and that we may do it together as your people with one voice and one love for you and for them that Jesus might be glorified in all. In his name we pray. Amen.